The theme of James, the entire book, is about spiritual maturity. And um, appreciate so much um, the summertime. We get to go to the park next week, and then in August we go again. Don't forget our midweek this week is at the park at Violindo. We're going to have a little, you know, have a little barbecue there, bring the kids. It's a really fun time to be together. So the first question when you tackle a book in the Bible is you got to understand its context. You know, you just can't grab a certain phrase and teach it. You have to kind of get an understanding. So I'm going to do a little overview on what the book of James is before we begin our series starting on August 7th. Uh, I think Zaldi is going to be kicking that off. So the book of James. Who was James? Now in James verse 1, it says... Let me turn there with us. In James 1, verse 1, it says, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, well, who is James? We know he's a servant, but we also know that there are a couple other Jameses in the Bible. Okay, there was James, son of Zebedee, and, and his brother of John. You can see them in Mark chapter 1. They're actually apostles of Jesus. There was James, another James, son of Alphaeus. He was also an apostle. And then there was James, the brother of Judas the apostle, not the traitor. He's found in Luke 6.16. There was a lot of Jameses. There's James Flores from Shoreline. There's a lot of James. You know, James is a very, very popular name. But we know the author from, from the early church says the author of the letter of James was the Lord's brother. Jesus had a half-brother. He was the firstborn, and then he had other brothers. In fact, he had about eight brothers and sisters, and James was one of them, and we find him there. And he is the author of this letter to the church, and he's writing this, which is an amazing thing because he didn't always start off being a fan of Jesus. You know, you come to church, and you may just be coming to visit, but you're not necessarily a fan of Jesus. We call them spectators. You like going to the game, but fans tend to get involved a little bit more. They paint their faces. Some fans even wear Jets, New York Jets stuff. And they're not even from that area, but they're a fan. They're a fan. It doesn't matter. When they, when they fall in love and they're committed to a team, you don't have to be from that city, right? Right? Apparently not. Apparently not. Look in your Bibles in John chapter 7. Keep your finger in James, but flip over to, if, you, if your Bibles have a little ribbon like mine does, you can just kind of ribbon it, finally put it to use, give it like, ah, and then go to John. You know, G, James didn't start off being a fan of the Lord. He grew up with Jesus, but he didn't believe that Jesus was in fact from God. He didn't believe that. Can you imagine that? Growing up with Jesus, him never sinning, but never cluing in that he is the Lord. In John chapter 7, verse 1, it says this. After this, Jesus went around in Galilee, purposely staying away from Judea because the Jews there were waiting to take his life. But when the Jewish fest feast of tabernacles was near, Jesus' brothers said to him, You ought to leave here and go to Judea so that your disciples may see your miracles that you do. No one who wants to become a public figure acts in secret. 
Since you are doing these things, show yourself to the world. Can you see the, the, the sarcasm? No one who's awesome as you, Jesus. No one, you're so awesome. You shouldn't keep it a secret. Let it out. For even his own brothers, in verse 5, did not believe in Jesus. It's a big celebration. It was a big feast. It was a big deal for anyone who was of a Jewish background. And the brother, his brother, tries to bait Jesus. <laughs> Show him your razzle-dazzle. Show him your stuff. Baiting him. To do something that Jesus didn't want to do. It wasn't, he, it wasn't his time to show himself, but the brothers are, are doing this because he, James doesn't buy into this. Jesus doesn't take the bait. Then in Mark chapter 3, if you return there with me, I'll show you another incident. Jesus is out doing his thing. He's out sharing his faith. He's trying to uh, make disciples. And in verse 31, verse 31 of Mark 3... This is a situation. He's in this room. He's doing a, a little Bible study. And then his family shows up. In verse 31, then Jesus' mother and brothers arrived. Standing outside, they sent someone to call him. A crowd was sitting around him, and they told him, Your mother and brothers are outside looking for you. Who are my mother and my brothers? Jesus said. Then he looked at those seated in a circle around him and said, Here are my mother and my brothers. Whoever does God's will is my brother and sister and mother. James is there again. But he's also there with mom. And they're calling Jesus back to the family. In a sense, they're saying, You're taking this God stuff too far. Don't you love when brothers kind of when you were growing up, if you had a brother, he was always trying to egg you on. When I, when I was about five years old, my brother uh, said, Gio, um, see this marble right here? See that color inside? He's like, I dare you to crack it in half and take out that little thing inside because we want to look at that. I was like, yeah, that sounds like a good idea. Break the marble with my teeth. I can crack it open. And it, it seemed very logical. But he was baiting me. He said, you should do this because you can do it. And so I put the marble in the front of my teeth. Not the side where your molars are at, but in the front. And as I put pressure down, it, it's like flipping a coin. And it, the marble snapped right back into my throat. Next thing I know was my dad was screaming, my son is dying. I woke up in a hospital bed with a doctor's face going, do not ever swallow marbles. <laughs> I was in shock. Because my brother tried to bait me. You know, it's, it's astonishing how we've grown up with Jesus. You've been to Sunday school class. You probably grew up going to church. But do you believe in Jesus? We grew up going to church. We grew up seeing church. But today, as you stand as a man and as a woman, do you believe in Jesus? Because this guy, James... Later on, we find him in Acts 14. After Jesus died, he's up there with the apostles. They were, they were praying together, along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. 
So James goes, I don't believe this. This is crazy. Come out of there. You're taking this religious thing way too seriously. And then you find him praying with the apostles, with the real followers. What, what was it about this adjustment? I think when you grow up going in church, there's, there's, there's a spiritual immaturity about our convictions. And we, then we do our own things. We spread our rings and decide, you know what? I'm going to figure life out on my own. And then we're out there doing our thing, what we think is, is right. And we find ourselves in a state of numbness, lostness, uncertainty. What do I do? We see our relationships aren't, are, aren't working out as we expected. And then we, we, we come, to, come to church and we say, well, maybe I should come back and see if I missed anything. And a lot of us, I, I came from that background. I did that, that very thing. And what I found was I was just immature. All the great things my parents were to teach me, I wanted to experience the opposite for myself. Oh, yeah, they were right about that. That's true. But it took being mature and learning from my mistakes to help me to grow. And there's something about James that changed him. Maybe he saw... Maybe he saw Jesus putting his faith in God growing up. Maybe he, he didn't get sidetracked by his mom. Maybe he saw the relationship that Jesus had with God, that it was different. You know, he did see some miracles when Jesus came back to his hometown. Not a lot, but he saw some. Maybe he saw Jesus' character. Maybe he suddenly realized, wait, he hasn't really done anything that that's been sin you know when you live with your brother or family member you see every character flaw in them you know when you get married there are things in your marriage you didn't know your wife had whoa what was that and she's going who are you because when you when you live in the close proximity every ounce of your character is exposed you know, in my marriage, what, what's been exposed for me lately is when there's a stressful situation at home, and then I, I get my feelings hurt when during the stress, during the, let's figure this out, and I get my feelings hurt, what I find in me is my anger comes out. I'm not an angry guy just by, I'm just a happy-go-lucky guy, but that's when my anger gets activated, when there's stress, and then I'm offended. When I'm offended and I'm not stressed, I'm like, oh, I, I got to help. But when I'm stressed and then offended, I notice there's an immaturity in my character. That there comes out. And it's a, it's a, it's a flaw in me. But I can, I can get down and say, oh, I can feel discouraged about myself. I can feel sorry for myself. Or I can say, you know what? I've identified it through the help of another couple who noticed a pattern. It took someone else to say, I noticed when there's stress and there's crisis and you're offended, this is coming out over a series of some times together. And I, it, I was like, the light went on, bling, that's it. I can now hone in to that part of my character. I can now focus on that when there's, when there's crisis. I feel the crisis coming on. Okay, now if I'm offended, I'm going to overlook it because if I take it too personally, I turn into Mr. Crazy. 
you get angry, you get mad, start saying things you don't really mean. Ah! You ever do that? I do that. Kids are like, what's going on with dad? What's wrong with dad? What's going on with dad? I'm going to go over here and play over here. It happens. So the scriptures can help us mature once we identify it. Does your walk match what you believe? Because you grew up with Jesus too. You heard about Jesus. Does your walk match what you believe? You know, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, I'm going to, if you turn there with me, I think this is the reason James changes. I think this passage explains to me the shift. Because we all have to make that shift from going from a spectator to a fan of Jesus. I'll check out church. I'm just going to check it out. Yeah, I like it. I like the music. Peter does a good job. I like the Congos. I like that. It's good church. Spectators, they check things out. But a fan decides to turn it on the inside going, I'm going to let this affect me. Because you have to allow God to affect you. You can come to church and be like, I like that, I like this, I don't like that. I like this, I don't like that, but I like this. Spectator. Or a fan goes, I'm going to allow it to affect me emotionally, spiritually. In 1 Corinthians 15, verse 3, Paul writes, For what I received, I pass on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that he was buried and he was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures, and that he appeared to Peter, that's the apostle, and to the twelve, after that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers at the same time. That must have been pretty awesome. Most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James. Then to all the apostles. And at last, he appeared to me. You know, seeing your brother back from the dead, that'll change you. That'll, that'll punch your ticket. I believe. It's the same thing that you have to turn to because if you believe he resurrected, you'll turn just like James. If you don't believe he resurrected, you'll be asleep. That's what turned James. He saw the Lord. You know, the Bible gives you much more credit because you believe, yet you did not see. Actually, God gives us more credit than the first century guys who did see Jesus. You believe because you have not seen and that is a credit to your faith as being righteous. You know, we have no record in the Bible, but the tradition tells us that James, the brother of the Lord, died in 62 AD. The story is that the Pharisees in Jerusalem hated him so much because he kept sharing about his brother Jesus that they had him thrown out of the temple and he was beaten to death with clubs. And the story also says that he died, as he was dying, he imitated Jesus and said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. I think the life of Jesus affected his brother. I think the life of Jesus can affect you if you let it. You have to let it affect you. In Acts 15, I'm not sure if I had this passage. I, I doubt it, but uh, I'll read it to you. He was involved in the, what was called the Council of Jerusalem, where they came down there for a spiritual decision. And in Acts 15, 
Ah, that's not it. In Acts 15, he, he expresses that the Gentiles are allowed to be disciples based on what God said in Amos chapter 9, verse 11. He quotes the Old Testament to say, God is doing this, and they listen to him. He became a leader of the Jerusalem church. What I found most interesting about this study was that he was also married. In 1 Corinthians 9, it says, Paul said, hey, can I have a wife like Peter and like James, the brother of the Lord? So we know he was married. So we know he was doing married, and he was doing spiritually well. We know he was a leader in the Jerusalem church, which means he was managing his family well. There's a lot about James that we can read and glean from the Bible. Usually, sometimes, when you get married, it divides your attention, does it not? It divides your devotion to God at times, the Bible says. But James was able to balance both. He was married. He was a servant. He knew his Bible. But what interests me most about James is that in James chapter 1, it has an amazing parallel to the Sermon on the Mount. It's, it's almost as if James remembered what Jesus said, and he's writing it down. Let me give you an example. In James chapter 1, he writes, Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Sermon on the Mount. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Verse 4 of James Perseverance must finish its work so that you can be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Matthew 5. You, therefore, must be perfect, which that, that, and then the parentheses mean growing in the complete maturity of godliness in mind and character, having reached the proper height of your virtue and integrity as your heavenly Father is perfect. The parallels are amazing. James 1, 5, chapter 1, verse 5. But if any of you needs wisdom, you should ask God for it. He is generous and enjoys giving to all people, so he'll give you wisdom. Jesus said, ask and God will give, you, give it to you. Search and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened for you. Yes, everyone who asks will receive. Everyone who searches will find. And everyone who knocks will have the door opened. James 1.22 says, do what God's teaching says. When you only listen and do nothing, you are fooling yourselves. Jesus said, Now all those who say that I am Lord will enter the kingdom of heaven. The only one who will enter the kingdom of heaven are those who do what my Father in heaven wants. James 4 verse 11. Brothers and sisters, do not tell evil lies about each other. If you speak against your fellow believers or judge them, you are judging and speaking against the law they follow. And when you are judging the law, you are no longer a follower of the law. You become a judge. Jesus says, don't judge other people or you'll be judged. You'll be judged in the same way you judge others. And the amount you give to others will be given to you. Why don't you notice a little dust in your a friend's eye, but you don't notice the big piece of wood in your own eye? You see the parallels? It's as almost if James actually paid attention. You know, when you grow up in, in Sunday school, and then as an adult you come back to church, you're almost reminded again of what you learned as a child. And I believe that's what's going on with James. He's remembering all the things that Jesus was saying. He says, you rich people, listen, cry and be very sad because of your troubles that are coming to you. Your riches have rotted and your clothes have been eaten by moss. 
Your gold and silver have rusted, and that rust will be proof of what you're wrong. You're wrong. If it will eat your bodies like fire, you save your treasure for the last days. He's warning the, warning the disciples. Jesus says, hey, don't store treasures for yourself here on earth where moth and rust will destroy and thieves can break in and steal. But store your treasures in heaven where they cannot be destroyed by moths or rust and where thieves cannot break in and steal them. Your heart will be wherever your treasure is. What an amazing connection between the Lord's brother and Jesus, almost barely verbatim, just putting it in a different way. But Jesus said it while he was alive to his disciples. James is saying it to the entire church that's scattered across the Roman Empire. Because in James 1, we know that he's writing to the scattered Christians among the nations. They are scattered. They are away from Jerusalem. They were disconnected. How's your connection in the fellowship? How is your relationships with other disciples, with other Christians? Are you scattered spiritually? That's when you get the feeling that I feel like I'm alone. I'm at church, but I'm alone. That's that feeling. I come, but no one's in my life. Let me encourage you. You have to let them in. You know, people can't forcefully be your friend or forcefully be close to you. You, you can, but it's uncomfortable. It's awkward. You have the mother of all awkwardness going, huh? You can. But usually, you have to allow yourself to be close to people. I think many of us, we grow up and come to church with many guards. Many, many. We're either embarrassed guard. I'm embarrassed because I'm not really living like a Christian. There's that, there's that guard. Or I'm, I, or you have this guard. Hey, I've been hurt before. I got close and it wasn't pretty. It was crazy. So we come with guards. We come like, almost like, and, 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 and you have to allow yourself to be friends. If you're visiting with us, you have to allow yourself. You have to allow us to get to know you. It takes a little bit of time. You don't just, you know, here, here's my keys in my house. Check it out. Go to the fridge. We don't say that. It's crazy. But there's this sense of, hey, let's spend some time together. Let's get to know each other. Let's have a little barbecue. Hey, let's try to, you know, engage a little bit. I'm not giving you the keys to my Honda just yet, but you know what? We can work up to that. Why did James write this book? You know, in verse 2 of James, they were going under a lot of trials, a lot of situations. You know, Paul wrote the book of Romans to prepare the Roman church for his visit. He also wrote to the Corinthian church to correct certain doctrinal errors. He also wrote to the Galatian church that they were being legalistic. But James is addressing a problem in the, in the churches that are scattered. He's saying, look, it, I know you're going through a time of testing. You know, normal life brings challenges. Just being a regular person, a Christian, brings challenges. But these challenges were affecting their relationship with God. They were being tempted to sin. They were catering to, to the rich. Some in the church were being robbed by other Christians. Um, they were competing for leadership. Um, there was a, a, a major problem in the failure to live up what they were saying that they were Christians. They were not living up to what they believed. Uh, they were saying words that were creating division. 
their language, or how they spoke to each other, was offensive and divided the church. There was a lot of immature things. And so the book of James deals with each of these subjects. You know, the problems they had in their church is not different from the problems we have in our church. Does your tongue ever divide Christians? You ever say things that are divisive that you didn't, you know, maybe you didn't mean it, but maybe you meant it? Yeah, take that. I like them apples. Hmm? You know, boom. We say things and when we're frustrated or we get tired, or ah, we say things that are just hurtful. We gossip. We talk. Same thing. And James is not just writing that letter to them. He's writing that letter to you, to me. This is the book of James. He's addressing a problem of immaturity. Don't be offended when you hear that. People go, well, I'm mature. Amen. I get that. But there's a part of you that's immature. Okay? Don't be offended when I say it's immaturity because we go, whoa, guards up, guards up. See, you lost me. No, no, no. Let me explain. There are good things you're solid on, you're great in, you have this, but there are other areas where you're not as mature. Right? Where, 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 you, where you're, you're, you're involved and in, in, in entangled in sin and you don't want to get help. That's a sign of immaturity. You may not want to hear that, but it's a sign. Okay, you may be good at this, but you need to work on this. And so the book of James is trying to help you address some of the areas in your life. It's not saying a blanket statement that you're just completely unspiritual. No, there are components in your character. And if you're married, I'm sure you have a lot of your spouses. I know what I'd write about you. Here's what I would say, right? But that's not really helpful when you tell them that. What's better helpful is when, when you reveal what you feel like, hey, this is where I feel I'm fall short. I get much more resolved with Karen when I first realize my weakness versus going, let me give you a little list of what you got to work on here. That and that and that. It, does, it shuts down the complete process of being restored in the relationship. So as we begin our Bible study of James, I want you to think about spiritual immaturity. Um, and here's a few marks of it. Let me give you a few things that, that mark immaturity that may, they may uh, apply to you. You sin without a spiritual fight. You're not, even, you're not even fighting. You're just sinning. You're like, ah, you just decide to do it too easily. The way you talk to other Christians and people tears down the relationship versus builds up the relationship. Another one is you're competitive. Another one is you, you make awesome, wonderful excuses not to be in fellowship. I've heard some of the best excuses not for missing fellowship in this church. But you have to decide to be in the fellowship. See, as a minister, I can't control your life. That's terrible. That's, that, I would be making you immature if I tried to control your actions. No, 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 no. You wouldn't grow. What I'm hoping is the light turns on for you going, hey, I've realized I'm immature in that area. I want, when you want to change, powerful things happen. When I want to be humble with Karen, man, she's ready to forgive. I'm going, why did I do that three hours ago? When I decide to change, awesome things happen. When I feel she's making me change, I don't like that. Who likes that? But when I want to change, God can use you. Missing the fellowship is you have to decide to want to be there. And it's not just about checking in and checking the box. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about enjoying the fellowship. 
You know, last night we got to celebrate Peter, Peter's 40th birthday. It was pretty cool. I was invited. It was awesome. He led a, he led a, he led a non-Jets fan in. It was pretty, pretty amazing. And it was a great fellowship. It was like a little reunion. I'm like, this is amazing. This is great. I saw old friends. It was awesome. I wanted to be there. I wanted to be there. You know, we have to want to be a part of something that's special. So let's take a look in verse 2 of some of the, some of the challenges of the church. Impatience. You ever impatient when things are difficult? Like, this should be changing yesterday. I prayed about it yesterday. It should be gone, but I'm still having difficulties. You ever pray like that? Ever get mad? God, are you listening? I'm, in, I, I, I'm having challenges. Why are you not fixing my challenges? I go to church. I give to the church. I go to midweek. Why are you not fixing this, God? Verse 2. Consider it awesomeness, as Jack Black would say. <laughs> Consider it pure awesomeness. And that's, he's Kung Fu Panda. My brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. God wants there to be a process of preparing you so you can make it to the end. Most of you will live 20, 30, 40 more years. If you want to make it that long, do not shortcut the process of your difficulties. There is a learning to it. Right, guys? We see a VCR. We see a flat screen. We see the manual. I got this thing. And then we're going, I'm struggling. What's going on? And then the wife goes, well, step two said plug it in. We're like, there's a process. Let's not shortcut the difficulties in our life. Sometimes you bring on that difficulties. Some kind of God just allows it to, to occur to you because he wants to develop you in your character. I appreciate the men in this church who have gone through challenges and have grown from them. That's a mark of maturity. The immature says, I don't like these challenges. It's unfair. God doesn't love me. God doesn't care about me. That's the immature response. The mature response is, wait, God is, he's working on me. He, he's wanting me to feel awesome about my challenges. That is right. Look at verse 14. Another mark of immaturity is talking but not living the truth. What good is it, my brothers, if a man claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save him? Talking but not living it. I mean, as a, as a Christian, I have done this. I, there have been moments in my Christianity where I have just been talking and not living. I've done that. I'm sure you've done that. 
But you've got to be aware of that. Don't be aloof to it. When there are moments where you're going, I'm not really living like it, I've got I to gotta make sure that I'm living, not just talking. Especially to your kids, when you're talking, 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 God, 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 and then you're not living it, it sends us a confusing signal to them. Oh, I see. Loving God is just about talking, not about living. So we have to be aware of that. Third thing is James chapter 3, verse 1. This is a big one for, I think, for any of us. Verse 1. Is in uh, James 3, verse 1. Not many of you should presume to be teachers, my brothers, because you know that you, he who teach will be judged more strictly. In other words, you, don't, you lack control of your tongue. What you're saying you brand everything an opinion matter. Everything's an opinion versus, hey, that's in the Bible. That, that's pretty clear. No, it's, it's, a, it's, your, it's your interpretation, and we can mislead. And so those who want to lead understand this, that you're under a stricter guideline than those who don't teach. That means that geo, I get judged a little bit more strictly on what I am saying to you. So I, I want in my best effort to make sure what I am saying is what God intended you to hear. But you, you, just because you think you're a Christian for 10, 15 years, that you know everything, you shouldn't presume that. Because remember, it goes back to your life. People are influenced and impacted by how much you are like Jesus. Not by how much knowledge you know. Knowledge puffs up. Love builds up. And there's a difference. When you're around someone you want to follow, it's their impact of their life through love, not through their knowledge. It takes a lot of courage to tell someone else your shortcomings. Here are my sins. And sometimes you feel like you're the only person who did that sin. You start going, gosh, this is so embarrassing. No one at church ever mentions this. I'm the only one, so therefore I'm not going to say anything. And in reality, everyone's done it 10, 15 times. And once you get to express that, it's like, someone else has sinned with me. Join me, brother. And you feel like, there's a connection. Like, you struggle, I struggle, let's help each other. Versus this, I'm not going to really tell you because I'm embarrassed. The next thing is in chapter 4, verse 1. James covers this in this chapter. He covers fighting and coveting, wanting things. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desire to battle within you? You know, what causes you to, to resist relationships, to, to not get along? Sometimes we can set standards for people that are way ab- they, they'll never get to. You'll be close to me when you, are, when you measure up here. Then then you and I can have a spiritual conversation. And we build these little walls up. We quarrel with ourselves. We maybe have an interaction and that's not pleasant. Then we go on, if, they're, if that's who they are for this moment, maybe that's who they are. For, and so that you see that they can never change. And so we kind of prejudge people based on interaction. You know, you, sometimes you come to church and it's not your best day. Sometimes you come to church and you're fighting with your wife. You're going, does it have to be today? Can it be a Saturday? Why a Sunday? Lord, why a Sunday? Why on the day I have to preach? Why that day? There are just some things that you come to church and you're, just, you're having a bad morning. 
but nobody knows. Why do you quarrel? Because it comes from within. And then in chapter 5, James uh, tackles this subject. In verse 1. Now listen, you rich people. Weep and wail because of the misery that is coming upon you. You know, the church had a lot of wealthy disciples, but they were collecting material toys. And then they were finding their their stuff, their, 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 their toys were being either confiscated or taken away. And so they were struggling. And God was admonishing those who are wealthy not to put your trust in your financial statements. Because that goes just like that. People lost $200,000 of value in their home. It's like that. Bam. Top of the world, mom. Underwater, mom. Just like that. In a, in a blink of an eye. So God says, don't put your treasure there. Put your treasure with me. Put it there. Now, he's not promoting poverty. He's reporting responsibility of a balanced your heart. Our hearts can be swayed by so many things. You know, I showed what, what Dalton was talking about was I showed all these PS3 games, you know, all these things that want to take your mind and take your heart. You know, he's like, I'm not playing games for a year. I don't know about the cliff statement. That was, I don't know where that came from, but... but <laughs> The game thing, it came from helping the kids understand these games take away your, your ability to think and your heart gets addicted to it. Addicted. So I was telling him, you have the wrong dreams. Maybe he meant like, I'm all in, I'm going off the cliff spiritually. I hope that's what Dalton meant. <laughs> Spin that one real fast. Here's what God's looking for in you. This is what he wants to see in you. He wants to see the men mature. The men to lead their families. So many men take a back seat when it comes to church. And I understand that sometimes church can appeal more to women than guys. Because church is safe. It's, it's protected. And the guy's are like, you guys are all soft. None of you guys go fishing. We have a few fishermen here, by the way, guys. Steve caught his first bass this week. You know, the church culture is dominated by women. It is. Who's in, who's in children's ministry? What are we, I want to go be... The guy's like, fine, I'll serve. How long is this? Two months. I'll wear this black shirt, fine. But I want to I tell you that God is looking for men to mature and lead. When the men lead, the women start glowing and become radiant. Not, not, not by lead by position, because that's easy to do. Listen, that's, that's not leadership. Whenever you have to lead by position, you lose influence. When you lead by influence, there you have people that will follow. It's not by position, not by your title. No one cares that Gio is the minister here. I don't lead by position. I lead by influence. Much more powerful I try to lead my family by influence. To the women, what God's looking for you is when the man rises up. I want to rise up. Don't refrain. Hold it in going, 
That's not a good start, honey, to the Devo. To the Devo. Just, there's going to be mistakes. He's going to be rusty. Let the man do his thing. And just say, that's awesome, honey. Look for ways to encourage. Because men easily get discouraged when the one person they love the most has something negative to say when they want to start doing something great. It just, it's like, it's like a balloon goes, you ever see it? Ever blow a balloon and go, you just fly away. And then we go, well, I tried to do it. It doesn't work in my family. <laughs> Women to not give in to fear. Because that's a temptation. It's like, is he going to do it right? Is it going to be great? Are the kids paying attention? Okay, is he? And we, we get, they get scared. And to, God wants to mature you to, not to be fearful, but to be faithful. You know, I don't know if you knew this, but God works powerfully through mistakes. I mean, he works awesome through In fact, the more mistakes you make, the wiser you are if you learn from them. So I'm a pretty wise guy, I think. <laughs> You're a pretty wise guy, right? A lot of mistakes that we learn. I learned never to bite a marble with my teeth. That was amazing wisdom. Guess who I taught first? I taught Jaden that. Jaden, don't ever put a marble in your mouth. Why, Dad? Because you might choke on it. Really? What happened? Daddy almost died. And my daddy didn't know, didn't know the Heimlich maneuver. Not a good situation. These are five chapters, five topics, five marks of maturity in Christians. This will be our series starting August 1st. I'm sorry, August 7th. This will be our series. Please join us to learn much more about God, what God wants you to grow and change. Thank you very much, and to God be the glory.